Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Scott Holman is the silent assassin that business owners hired to find hidden profits. Scott's companies have twice been named in the Inc. 500 list, number 59 and number 106, of the fastest growing privately held companies in America. He also co-founded an IT consulting company that grew from zero to 85 million in just 21 months and was valued at nearly a billion dollars. Scott launched his first coaching program with Jay Abraham, and his advice has led to billions of dollars for thousands of entrepreneurs in over 280 industries, ranging from biotech to a pumpkin grower. Yes, you read that right. <laughs> As a sought-after speaker, he has uh, impacted over 150,000 people. His mission is to help entrepreneurs rapidly accelerate profits without spending more money on marketing, sales, or technology, <laughs> as well as increase the value of their businesses by 50 to 100%. Scott, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. So, so, Scott, I mean, we have so much we can talk about. I mean, I know, you know, you had a, a, a roll up that, you know, that exited a significant amount. I know you do licensing deals. I know that you help people, you know, rapidly scale their their revenue and profits, not just with an interest towards making more money, but but towards creating enterprise value and all of those things affect deals. Well, before we get into any of that stuff, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because I think, you know, running a roll-up firm and, and consulting people on growing businesses and creating enterprise value probably wasn't it back then, but you but you tell me. <laughs> well, I played basketball. That was my thing, you know, but I, I wanted to be a carpenter because I grew up poor. Yeah, This is a true story. So the carpenters were making the big bucks, right? They were banging out the bucks, as they say, right? And that's what I wanted to do. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go through school and I'm going to do that and make a lot of money because I couldn't fathom or dream that there was anything beyond that. You know, I didn't have any money to go to college. Nobody I knew went to college. And so I'd love to tell you something more glamorous, like, you know, I'd had this enterprising paper route with 15 people working for me, but it just wasn't there. Was not the case. Listen, it's, it's why I love asking that question, because there's so many ways that people come to their business success and entrepreneurial ventures and deal growth. And one of my purposes of this podcast is to really open up people's mind to the possibility of growing through deals. And I think when we show that people from all walks of life, coming from poor middle-class money, different backgrounds, entrepreneurial spirit early on, not so much at all, you know, there's ways to get there. I think it's really helpful. So, uh, yeah. so I think that's great. One more question, looking back, what was your first deal of any type? However you define that, that you can remember, it could be something when you were young as a kid or early in your career, whatever comes to mind. Well, yeah. Well, my actual first deal is being an entrepreneur. I'll tell a funny story. It was we had this contest in school to sell. We had this, it was like a, a suitcase full of lights that flashed and emergency kits and different things for homes. And you had to go house to house and you had to sell this stuff. 
Okay. And, you know, it, it was my first taste of being an entrepreneur. I was probably like 13, 14 years old or something. And I outsold everybody like two to one. And I really, really got me inspired. So it's not necessarily a deal, but it was, it launched me into entrepreneurship. That's for sure. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Those are early experiences. So, all right. I want to work up to it, what you're doing now and what you help people with and, and this great licensing deal that you're doing. But let's, let's go back a little bit because we talked about this billion dollar company you built in, what was it, 21 months or something like that? And I know, you know, even the concept of a, of a roll up, some people don't know what that is. Some people know what it is. Some people have bad connotations. I mean, I remember, you know, uh, I started doing roll ups in the eighties and they were hot. And then, and then they became like, you know, the, this thing that, uh, oh, wait, roll-ups are bad. And then, of course, they, they come back and, you know, some roll-ups really work, some don't, some famously blow up. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, that amazing experience of, of that journey. Yeah, you know, there are two different kinds of roll-ups, so I keep it simple. It's probably more than that. But, you know, the early roll-ups were we just take a bunch of like-kind businesses, slap them together, get a bigger multiple, sell it, and the operations aren't improved. The marketing is not necessarily improved. It's actually kind right. of a bit of a shell game, quite honestly. Yep. Then there are strategic roll-ups, right? A strategic roll-up is where you're rolling up for a purpose, right? So when we did the IT consulting, we were called One Inc. And our whole grand vision was to basically take all the touch points that are out there, uh, uh, customer service touch points, the sales touch points, all the, uh, the marketing touch points with a customer and pull them into one common view of the customer. That's what we were doing. So our roll-up wasn't buying a lot, buying a company and then doing tuck-ins that are similar. It was buying the internet at the time, the cutting-edge internet technology companies, buying the marketing automation company. It was buying the uh, call center companies, buying the CRM integration company and putting it all together, right? So you're building value and creating something that nobody else had. And that was the secret of why, you know, we were going out at 12.8 times revenue, you know, so it was a, it was a bit crazy and, I, and, and it was a crazy time back then. I get that. But, you know, that's the key is that there needs to be a purpose to the roll up if you really want to have it, A, not only succeed, but continue over the long run to, to continue to grow and add value. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very important distinction. It's a phenomenal one because some folks... I mean, listen, we have a lot of sophisticated listeners to this podcast and they're onto this already, but for some of the newer folks, I mean, you know, there is a thing in M&A where size tends to get bigger multiples. So there are some, especially back in the 80s, that were basically financial engineering, right? It was a bunch of folks who said, hey, if we just create more size, right, we can yeah. buy at 5X and sell at 8 or buy at 8 and sell at 14 or whatever. And it was really just a multiple arbitrage based upon the fact that bigger deals sell. And, and in that game, you better get out before anybody figures out that you haven't really added value or before the market drops, right? It's a big difference when you're doing it strategically and there's a business purpose behind it. And there's, you know, creating efficiencies, mm -hmm. of whether it's horizontal integration or vertical or geographical expansion. Yeah, absolutely. In ways where you're creating synergies that make sense from a business point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So before we leave that, I want to talk a little bit about how did you even come to the decision to choose to you know, grow that way? What was the mindset? One of the things we talk about in this podcast a lot is that mindset shift, because my assertion is that there's a different mindset to an entrepreneur than people who work for people. Again, I don't have a value judgment on it, although for me, you know, I'm I'm on the entrepreneurial side, but you know, know thyself. But then there's also a there are plenty of entrepreneurs that don't do deals that would not think about scaling through a strategic roll-up, right? They would just try to do it some other way. So what had that, you even come to that conclusion, that's the way you want to do it, that shift? What what was the team like? Well, I think, you know, you know how did that come so about? 
I, when I built my first company, I built my first company on a business plan I created when I was going through the USC Entrepreneur Program. And it, it became Inc. Inc. Magazine's 59th fastest growing company in America. I built another one in the medical industry that was uh, hit 106. And then I got bought out. Yep. And when I got bought out, I got bought out by a private equity firm who was doing, I guess, I didn't know it was called a roll-up back then, right? That's yeah, effectively yeah. what they were doing. And I sold it at a nice multiple, which I won't disclose, but I will just tell you that five or six years later, it sold for $660 million. I did not get 660 <laughs> And they didn't improve a damn thing. Right. They, they didn't improve. We already had a great company, but they just scaled my model. And so I thought, you know, I wanted to learn from that. So when we went to, Mike McLaughlin was my, my co-founder for One Inc. And he was a former Booz Allen consultant. And we started this business off going, what do we want to do? We looked at buying and doing a roll up in the in the waste management arena. And we looked at, we looked at everything. Finally came across, you know, there's this, there's this issue in this, in this space, uh, especially the CRM space. Uh, and when we looked at it, we said, okay, well, in order to do this, we, here's the skills we need. So we can either organically try to grow those. Or we can go buy world-class companies and, and use our expertise to scale. And that's what we did. It was just looking for the fast track, right, at, at that point. And companies that, that any company out there that wants to grow and it doesn't have a, acquiring to do tuck-ins in their business model is just crazy. It's just, they just don't know they're, they're, they're fearful or they're not knowledgeable or they're not watching your podcast enough, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, listen. It's like I always say: in most businesses, you need to be able to have organic growth. You need to be able to figure out sales and marketing and get a client or a customer, another one, another one. Unless you're just built as an acquisition company to start. So I'm not saying organic growth is bad. In fact, we're going to get into that, and it's 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 important. It's phenomenal. But there's all this this whole other you know way to grow the organic deal driven growth side that like too many people in my mind don't even don't even touch. So. Yeah. I mean, do both. Right. I, I just had a, a discussion with somebody I'm trying to, oh, I was a guest on someone else's podcast and we got into the whole build buy, you know, decision that big companies make, right. You know, do we build it or do we buy it? And there's a reason why I'm, I'm not saying they always buy. Sometimes it makes sense to build, but you know, there's a reason why very often they decided, they decided it's better to buy it than to build it. Yeah. All right. Let's get into what you're doing now at a higher level. I want to drill into a particular deal that I know we're going to talk about, but, you know, just talk about what, what you do for folks, you know, for companies. So, I mean, we touched it quickly in the bio, but give us some more detail. Yeah. I mean, we talked, you know, we, you and I had talked offline, you know, that I, I've been known as being the profit optimization guy. You know, I think, you know, if you, anybody's been to Tony Robbins business mastery, the content on profit optimization is that that's what I do. That's what I created. And it, so I think this discussion of a uh, build or buy, I think it's it's actually it's both. It's it's buy and build, right? So because the the ability to be able to mass significantly, I will use massively significantly increase EBITDA, but through this concept of optimization, instantly, you know, whatever your multiple is, it goes up up that amount. So I think it's both, and this is what I do is, is I look to say. For companies, and my my focus in the in in this in this world is about what I call pre preparing, which is how do you get ready in advance? Because so many companies, as you know, if you're if you're looking to sell, you're not ready. You decide you want to sell, you want to retire, you got a medical issue that happens or whatever in your life, and then you go to sell and you're not ready. You haven't put in just the fundamentals that would dramatically increase the value of your company. And, you know, even when I sold my first company, I sold too soon. I was young. I was scared. I had a little tiger by the tail. I had no mentor. And I left tens and tens of maybe hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. And so 
that's where my passion lies is how do you pre-prepare to get your business ready to sell? And then when you actually go through the process of selling, it's it's a it's a wonderful experience versus what the hell did I just do? Yeah. yeah. You know? All right. So how do you get your business ready prepared to sell at higher multiples? Well, you know, it's interesting because I had sort of seven things I listed out and mindset was the last one. And I've now moved it to the first one because if you don't have the mindset, yep. you're screwed. And I'll tell you why. Is because most entrepreneurs, they've built their business up. They've been successful. They've created a little bit of freedom for themselves, a little bit of money for themselves. And they're not that engaged in the business anymore. If they're, by the way, if they're too engaged, that's a problem. But right. if they're not engaged in the business anymore, and all of a sudden I'm saying, you have to dive back in. You have to dive back in and do the work to get the, these things installed in your business. If, you're, if it's still about you, you need to get your successor in place, get them trained so that you're not an owner-operated business, right? You have to get in and make sure you're optimizing your profitability because every dollar is going to produce five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten for you. And then you have to put the systems in place and the metrics in place to make sure that's duplicatable and repeatable so the buyer has a lot of confidence because we want people buying for the future, yeah, we don't want them buying on on the past, and so the mindset's important. If you can't get the mindset, I find is none of those changes are going to be made, and they're going to they're, they're going to drop into the fifty percent solution. I'll get fifty percent of what I want, or worse, they're going to be forced to stay when they don't want to stay, or they're going to be forced into an earnout, which is even worse. And so, the mindset's important. If you can't get the entrepreneur back engaged, it's not going to be a great experience for them. See, anybody who listens to this podcast understands that I talk about mindset all the time, right? And it's, you know, for me, it's a threshold thing. And so, so I love that you said that. And I, I swear to my audience that I did not put him up, no. say that. I certainly did not put him up to switch the order. That was, <laughs> that's <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I mean, it's right. I mean, you, I don't think in anything in life, you don't get anywhere unless you have the right mindset around it. So, yeah. all right. So uh, I don't know that, you know, you don't need to go through all the other six elements, although you can, but you want to hit some highlights on what else there is in that seven. Well, look, we always talk about differentiation, you know, and I think that it's as long as you are a me too, you know, I call it compelling competitive advantage. As long as you're a me too, you're going to be valued as a me too. And so you have to create differentiation. Sometimes that's perceived, but oftentimes there's things you can put into place. So like when I was building my, my medical records company that was the Inc. 500, 59 fastest growing company, if you had a, back in those days, if you, had a, if you had a copy machine and some medical knowledge, you were in business and I had people constantly competing against me, but we just kept changing the rules, right? Yeah. We changed the game. We began outsourcing the entire function with medical records where we literally controlled, nobody else could even come in, right? We had st stupid things early on where I went and got this like $10 million errors in emissions policy. It may sound silly, but most of my competitors couldn't qualify it for it. So I just created a risk problem for them handling confidential medical records. So you have to have some, sometimes it could be that simple to say, we really have something that is different about us. It doesn't have to be, I created Facebook, but you have to have something that's different to get somebody confident they can leverage that going forward. So I think that's huge. Today, more than ever is team. And I always thought culture was BS. And my book, Hyper Growth, which hits number one on Amazon Kindle's uh, bestseller list, I interviewed 12 rapidly growing Inc. 500 ranked three times or more in a row. So to sustain their growth from 12 different industries. And as I'm interviewing them and, and trying to identify sort of the seven keys to, to building a hyper growth business, what kept coming out was culture, culture, culture. And I thought, oh yeah, you slap some mission statement on the wall, it's a bunch of crap. 
But there's a big difference between that and living and breathing it. Because today, we want people that want to be a part of our mission, a part of this, so they're not leaving and jumping to the next to the next competitor. So the whole culture element of, of, of not just I've got, you know, lattes and all, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there's a purpose being here. I belong here. We're doing something special is more important than ever. And I mean, those are a couple highlights, I think, that are really, really important right now, especially with the turnover we're seeing in, in companies. Yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting on the on that culture piece and the turn, turnover piece. I think there's so many elements to it. I mean, on the one hand, you know, listen, I, I look back to my grandfather's generation, right? I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, my, my grandfather was a was a, a New York City sanitation worker, put in his 20 or 25 years, whatever, got his, you know, got his pension. And then he was thrilled to get a job at IBM at a call center where he put in another 20 and they gave him a watch. Right. You know, you know, go, go watch what he when he retired. Right. Like yeah. that is that's ancient history for the most part. Right. And it's ancient history for so many reasons. Right. Companies are less loyal. There's, you know, they, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, there's a there's a, a relationship between this. The younger generation, you know, wants to have work that's more purposeful, have opportunities to fit in. And, and you know, they're not just, you know, they're much less likely to suffer through, you know, something and they are willing to hop more. So I think it's, you know, really highlighted the need to have something that's attractive to folks. I mean, you know, my grandfather and his generation, frankly, didn't need a place that like he was happy to have a job and and, and make a paycheck and, you know, and, and have a place to go. You know, I mean, it's it's very different mentality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very different mentality. Yeah. All right. So let, let's. So so you do the speaking. You have the books. Let's talk a, a little bit about you know the way. Like, who's your ideal client? Who do you work with? How do you work with them? You know, what is it that helps them achieve these you know these results that that, that you produce for so many clients? Yeah. You know, my ideal client is an entrepreneurial company that is its own. It it's it's owned by an entrepreneur, right? So I don't generally work with corporations. I don't generally work with you know VC oriented companies. I'm really looking for the person who's grown the business themselves. They're they control a business, and I can deal directly with the CEO and the owner. And I've I've worked with six point six billion dollar companies. I don't like it. That's not my avatar. So typically to come into our company, whether it's working with me or it's working with one of our profit advisors is, you know, that businesses that are doing a million to about 25 million, then they grow, of course, but that's the entry point because, you know, the key that we have is we will, we're only going to work directly with a CEO. Not that we won't work with our team, but they can't say, Hey, here's my team. Go work with them. We say, well, then you just need to go work with somebody else. And I don't care what industry it is because we have an attitude. We only work with successful companies. We're not a turnaround firm. And why is that important? I've, I've coached clients in over 200 different industries. And when somebody says, well, you don't know our industry, I will look at them and say, are you good at what you do? Are you an expert at what you do? I'm an expert at showing you how to do what you do way better. And I'm an expert at helping you build the value. But if you're not an expert in what you do, we're not a fit. You know, so in a lot of times what ends up happening, I'm integrating what I teach my duck farmer or my pumpkin, my pumpkin lady into a high tech firm. So yeah. it's a lot of cross pollinating and that that's, that's what we do, you know, and that's, it, it works really well. So let's say you mentioned your profit consultants. So let's, let's address some distinctions, right? I've had the pleasure of having Michael McCallowitz on the, on the podcast and he's got the whole profit first system, which I adopted yeah. for many years in my, in my, in my companies. And only moved on from them when I actually hired uh, had a whole. I now have an outsourced CFO who has a whole. You know, they they monitor all that stuff for me. 
but that's you know but but that's much more on just uh, like a that and he will you know that's all about increasing profit but it's much more from a, a system to monitor financials right and from the financial end let's just make a distinction on on, on what you guys what yeah, he's it's great he's, he's great i love the book as well he's in this hand i'm in this hand and we do this right so here's the difference like he's talking about again from the financial perspective which is wonderful and and, and we don't actually so we start off by saying you're generating leads. I don't care if you're getting word of mouth or your high sophisticated internet marketing's machine, you're getting it from trade shows, walk-in traffic. We don't care. And then we say, then you have a process of funnel you're taking them through, whether or not it's, you know, a multi-step six-month, 12-month thing if you're selling a big computer system or it's you're, you know, selling info product. It we don't care what that is. We start off with saying, what is your model? We call them profit drivers. We say, let's identify where you're generating your leads. Let's identify the steps through your funnel. And then let's and how you're converting them to customers, clients, or patients. And we start there. And we say, now, how do we optimize? What's that mean? It means that rather than you getting 100 leads, let's go make some tweaks. So we'll get 105. And rather than you getting 80 people that get on a a call with you, you get 87 people on a call with you and so on and so forth. And I can show any business, we do this all the time, how you can increase your profitability, bottom line profitability, 50 to 100% by going through this exercise. And in one hour on the phone with us, I can show you where there's 25%. And it's not hire more salespeople or invest in more marketing. I'm saying not an extra dollar, not, not any more technology, not, it's just letting us make distinctions and it can be little things like changing something on your website that increases your engagement to your contact us form by 17%. So this is the kind of thing that we do. And then once they become a customer, client, or patient, now we get to where 80% of the money's made and that's how you maximize the transaction value of your customers. And all we're doing is looking for the, the levers that we can move three to 5%, but cap, you know, on one on top of another creates compounded effect. And it's easy. I'm not, you're not doing anything new. We're just make we're helping you do what you do better. That's a distinction. I love that. And and you know, folks, one of the things that we often talk about on this podcast is this is the difference between organic growth and inorganic growth. And of course, the focus of this podcast is the inorganic or deal-driven growth. But as we've had a couple episodes in the past where we've tied them together, I mean, obviously. Not only do you get better enterprise value and and because you're playing a multiple to you know better EBITDA, but let's face it, buyers like companies that are run that have systems that are run efficiently, that have processes that are repeatable because that's what makes them scalable. Not only scalable to the, the extent that they've scaled themselves, but it it actually you know helps you know a buyer is able to see oh we if we put some more juice on this, they've actually got the systems and infrastructure that somebody like you have helped them build you know, to be able to scale even further. And then there's upside for the for the buyer. Well, you talk about arbitrage. So let me just throw in one thing about this. You talk about arbitrage, every buyer, if you're buying a company, you want to you have a little arbitrage. If you're selling a company, you want to have that. Yep. If you're selling a company, I mean, in, in short time frame, when you're going to list, you already know you're going to do it. You don't do a lot of heavy lifting. You know, we show companies how they're going to make really rapid impacts in their profitability, increase that multiple. But if you are buying companies, like one of the things we will do with the, the private equity companies or, or, or in, uh, people that are buying companies or looking to do roll-ups, et cetera, is we can do a, a strategic profit assessment in just like takes four hours and say, there's a million dollars of low-hanging fruit here, or these guys, 
this what they have is not repeatable. It's not leverageable. There's not much upside whatsoever. And imagine you're going, okay, if there's a million dollars and I'm I'm going out at a six multiple, it's six million dollars. Kind of nice to know before you buy the company. And it's kind of nice to know that they these guys have leveraged and optimized and tweaked and systematized to the nth degree. And there's really not a lot of lemon juice left in the lemon, right? Yeah. Yeah. From both points of view, it's super valuable information. Yeah. You know, so that's great. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So, you know, there's one particular thing I know you're working on now that involves licensing, which is another type of deal that we've talked about on this on this podcast. But frankly, it's, you know, for me, I feel like it's really one of the underutilized ways to do stuff. I mean, I, I this is on a small level, but, it, you know, you're a speaker, you know, I'm a professional speaker as well. I've been a member of the National Speakers Association. And I look at, you know, this is just, this is on a small level. I, I've said this, I look at all these speakers who sell their time, right? And then, and then you know, the client says, oh, can you, can I take a copy of your video or or can can I buy, you know, pay X for your online course? You know, and then licensing, I mean, they've created valuable intellectual property that's, you know, you know, it's proprietary to them. And I mean, in this day and age, you want to put out a lot of free content or whatever, but I'm talking about, you know, like their real secret sauce, their, their, their methodology, whatever. And there are a couple of folks in, you know, in the field that really kill it on licensing, but so many speakers, just as an example, you know, don't. And then there are so many other businesses, obviously anything in tech, anything that's, you know, with patents, anything with, you know, the stuff where there's a million different ways to license and, and, and so many, I think it's underutilized deal structure. So talk a little bit about your experience with that. And I know you got something going on that I, I don't know. I don't even know what type of licensing is, but I know. It's I'll, I'll share with you. I'll share with you how it applies licensing in general. And then I'll share with you about the, the deal I'm working on right now. So with licensing, what ends up happening is I'm now, I now have technology or I have a process or best practice, and I'm going to be able to reach a certain amount of the audience. But I, if, if I have a pie chart and that's my audience, I'm, re I'm reaching likely a small sliver of that. And right. so licensing is a way to be able to say, who can take my technology, for example, and integrate it into their business or into their sphere of influence and their clients, right? So that they're reaching a part of the market I can't reach. Are there they have an application to put this in use that I don't have. I don't have the ability to to do, and so that's where licensing is very powerful. Anybody that has um, a product, like you know, I've got a client who created. A, he sell they sell it online. It's a it's kind of like a men's girdle, but it's for golf, and it 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 helps you to get out of pain and 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 you know be a better golfer, not be in so much pain. And you know they're selling it online, and you know, and I'm like, well. Why don't you just go license it? I, I bet you could license it to like Nike or and maybe not that big of a company. Go license it to somebody else. They're going to take this thing and run with it, right? The, to the point where you never can. And you can license the US market. You can license the UK market. You can license the Australian market. You can license the Asian market. So there's a lot of leverage there. Now, if applying it back to M&A, or not M&A, but, but in, in the roll-ups, you can either do a roll-up where you are you raise a bunch of capital and you're now buying companies, right? And, and the popular thing today is to buy 70% of the company, have them keep 30% in the game, right? So their heads are in the game. And, and 
what what we are doing right now, and I'll give you an example of it, is we are basically doing it's for a throwback probably to the 80s, where you're saying, can we go and get a group of companies that are like kind, industry specific, same industries, and can we get them to band together and say we're going to go out? But in the meantime, there's no money changing hands per se. I mean, there's there's there are engagement fees. But you know, you're not having to raise a pile of money. So you can actually do a roll-up. So the roll-up I'm doing right now, and I, I have to be a little vague, but it is in the sure. in the healthcare space. Yep. And I had a client who had to make a pivot because of of COVID, because what it did it did to his clinic, and he started this practice, and it took off, and he went from zero to to generating about 150,000 a month, 1.8 million a year, making a million dollars profit. And he said, "Well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to just teach some other." other practices how to do the same thing. I said, well, wait, 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 time out, time out. How much are you going to charge him? So I'm going to charge him like five grand. I said, how would you like to make like a hundred times that? Yeah. Hey, so what do you mean? They go, let's, let's get them all excited about doing a roll up and let's, let's get them excited about doing that. Let's get that commitment from them. Let's get them all to sign a license, a, a, a license with us. So where they're going to buy your product and let's scale it that way. So I will pull together a common brand, we'll pull together best practices. And the secret sauce is, I'll go back to my optimization piece, is I do a mastermind every two weeks. Why do I do that? Because I'm pulling out the best practices from all those things we just talked about. Who's generating leads most effectively and what medium and how are they doing it? What's their advertising look like and how are they scaling and how are they pricing? And it's just, it's amazing what ends up taking place. We, we had over one quarter, you take the same entities that were applying the strategies they lose they learned from the from the mastermind, the organic sales were up 27% mm-hmm. because it's all cheating. It's like cheating. It's like, here's how I'm billing. Well, I'm not doing that. Or, or, you know, so it's it's amazing. So we started that 18, maybe 19 months ago. Our run rate EBITDA right now is just south of 10 million. Mm-hmm. And you pick whatever multiple you want because we we we're not in an industry where we have strong repeat sales and you know whatnot. So it's probably the time we're we're probably at a seven maybe a seven seven and a half x. But we've created seventy to seventy five million dollars of value from thin vapor that didn't exist by combining licensing and then best practice integration. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, to- totally. So, I mean, I know we have to be careful here because it's on, you know, you can't talk more specifically about the the deal itself or even get into the industry, but what is the, so obviously this is this, these masterminds and then what is the, is it just the, the content from this one guy that's being licensed or is there a pooling or like, how does that how The way that it works work? right now. So what you want to be able to do when you do this in the licensing agreement is anything that is created becomes the property of the NUCO, right? Right, of the holding company. That's the, that's a key. And sometimes, by the way, that, and I'm not a lawyer, not giving legal advice, but sometimes the rights are shared, but you certainly yeah. have the right to be able to use that best practice. Because look, the reality is, will everybody actually do the roll-up? Will everybody actually join in? Probably not, right? We, we go, so we are pretty simple. We just go from, we just say, you're, if you don't end up doing that, you continue to be a licensee or perhaps a franchisee, which is a common model, right? So, and that's what you do. And, and, and the breakthroughs are staggering. I'll give you an example. 
So we have the average transactional value of say $1,500. I'm going to make these numbers up, but I'm going to make sure the scale's correct. Sure. And then one of the, one of the licensees says, well, gee, we've now created three layers. Just think of it like a bronze, silver, gold, platinum, mm-hmm. right? And their average transaction value has gone from 1460 to 1850. Now, let me just say that another way. That is like $300 pure profit, less credit card fees and some sales commission for selling the same thing. Once you have that, it's complete with, here's what you say, here's who, how you position it, here's who you sell it to, here's who you don't sell it to. And I could go on and on and on all the way through our profit drivers to show how you can do this everywhere because somebody is, it's not one of these 37 is doing everything the best. Right. So that's the magic of it all. It's you could probably see I'm pretty enthused about it because it's like strike zone for me. I love it. It's like, you know, I could probably just do these masterminds for anybody that wants to do a roll-up in an industry specific because they're just so fun, you know. Yeah, no, it sounds that way. And I and it's a great model. I mean, listen, you know, for the participants, it's like, okay, you can participate in the roll-up, or you could just have gotten 27% increase in your in your sales from being in it and, and choose not to, right? I mean, you know, that's pretty pretty good result. To, yeah, yeah. You know, as it is. So yeah, I love it. I love it. And look, um, I, I want to be transparent with everybody, which is that there's some complexities to it. And I, I don't have it all figured out. We're kind of mm-hmm. doing this along the way. And there's some heavy lifting, not heavy lifting. But yeah, there's some lifting to get everybody pulled together. And, you know, I'm a systems person, so I'm systemizing, optimizing, creating best practices, you know, everybody on, you know, common financial systems with common chart of accounts. And, yep. you know, we, we are already doing mock P&Ls before we're all together. So we can basically show a history of, of, of financials. So it's, there's, you know, there's some work to be done, but it's kind of cool going, do I, do I, do I raise a huge pool of money and invest all this money or do I just kind of leverage you know, best practices and reputation, et cetera, and pull, pull band people together to have the same outcome. Yeah. And, and listen, that's an important piece that you said. I mean, getting people on, you know, whether even just the common charts of account or similar technology, whatever, obviously that, that goes back to an, an earlier comment you, you, you made with the distinction between just these, you know, these eighties financial aggregators who are just putting a bunch of disparate things <laughs> together and something that actually makes business sense. Right. So now if there is a roll up of these firms, there's been synergies created, there's been efficiency created, there's been pro- additional profitability created, and it, it makes sense for them to come together. They don't have all these disparate systems and processes. So, you know, I I totally, you know, that's an important part of the model. I get it. it makes sense. Yeah. And, I, and like, you know, private equity or, you know, somebody can come in and say, hey, there are, you know, you're only you're only touching a small percentage of of the marketplace we can take and run with this. And it's, so they- they have their own arbitrage. In addition to the, the higher multiples, there's enormous growth that can take place. And so it's just another it's another pathway to 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 getting to where I think many of your listeners, probably anybody who's doing a the old classic roll-ups not gonna like me. <laughs> but, right, you know. right. Which is all good. All right. Before I get to my final two questions, is there anything else you wanted to mention, whether it's your, your books or Services or what you're seeing in the in, in the deal markets? Or? No, I mean I think yeah. anybody that if 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 I've touched on a nerve and some excitement, it's you can go to scotthallman.com and just fill out a form to to do a 15 minute discovery call with us or, or yeah with me depending upon you know who you are and uh, we'll just talk about whether or not you say I, that roll up thing sounded really interesting, the licensing sounded interesting, or the whole mastermind thing. Could you do something like that for us? 
you know, that's that's really what drives us right now. We're excited about. So just feel just, you know, can reach out there and we'll do a quick 15 minute discovery call. And if it warrants, we'll we'll go from there. And if not, it, uh, it's always wonderful to meet people and see what they're doing. I love it. Well, you anticipated that was that was my second last question. I was going to ask you to give people an opportunity to to connect with you. So that's, so that's perfect. And actually, before I go to my last question, I, I just want to highlight this because I'm, I'm such a fan of masterminds and and, you know, I've been a member of Entrepreneurs Organization. We have something called Forum. It's not yeah. technically a mastermind, but it essentially, you know, you know, is. I've done it in other contexts. My wife does mastermind retreats with her socially conscious entrepreneurs and change makers who are looking to make Good money or make a difference in the world. Just talk a little bit about, I, I just spend another minute or two before we go to the final question on just the benefit of that. And, you know, and I think they're magic. So, you know, you, I'd love you to, you know, spend just another minute or two on mastermind. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, I, if they're done properly, they're really, really valuable. I think a mastermind that, that says, you know, that says, Hey, Corey, tell me what you did, you know, what's going on in your world. And somebody else shares and they're giving you kind of ideas and tips. That's, that's good. I mean, I like that. There's got some value to it. Uh, I'm a little bit more process driven, which is that, you know, we're looking at, at specific opportunities and then taking enough time to peel back the onion right on the call or right in, in the, in the live if you're doing it. And, Getting people to see how it applies to them. If you can do that in a mastermind, it, I, I use the term, it's like cheating to success because you're, you're just, you know, somebody else has been there. If you're going to, if you want to do some new marketing campaign that's going to cost money or you want to test radio or TV or, or some internet thing, get the ability to go to your mastermind and go, anybody else done this before? Right. Right. And, and by the way, sometimes it's, yeah, it's a disaster. Don't do it. It's like, you know, you're pissing money down the toilet. Right. And then you go, okay, thank you very much. So sometimes it's avoiding mistakes or somebody else saying, learn from my mistakes. Here's exactly what you do. And you can't replace it. It's like, you know, you, you'll get the 10,000 hour rule. A 10,000 hour rule means I have to do something 10,000 hours to become a master. And I can tap into another 10,000 hour person in the mastermind and become a master that quickly. And you, they're they're just irreplaceable if they're done properly. You got them, somebody's doing more than just moderating and asking somebody what they're doing, and can somebody help Johnny out with this problem? There's there's value to that, but if you really want to leverage, you're taking things that move the needle and identifying who does it best. And if they understand uh, this, the power of optimization is cool because it's so easy for people to go, "We do that already. I do that already." I go, I know, but if you can eke out another eight or 10% from that, what you're already doing, think about what that's going to do to your EBITDA, what that's ultimately going to do to your, to your exit, right? Yeah. And I could go on and on. You tell me, you got to unplug this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we all come at a time. So I'm going to ask you my final question, which is for me on the podcast is always about my highest value in life, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom around the world from, for all people from oppression to the reason I've been an entrepreneur and haven't had a boss for decades. Uh, what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? How does freedom, what does freedom mean to me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, uh, fr freedom for me is the ability to be able to, you know, to learn from all the, all the world's treasures that we have and be able to apply it in my life to make myself, my family and others around me a better person. And I think at the end of the day, it's such a gift to be able to have the knowledge that we have and the freedom to be able to use it the way that we use it. So I'll stay away from, you know, censorship or anything else that people are talking about right now. But the truth, you know, the truly true freedom is to be able to have the gift of being able to learn from like what you're sharing and be able to apply it and, and live the life we want. And, you know, I was laughing because 
but even like right now I'm dressed up, you know, this is like dressed up, you know, cause you know, I, I work from home and, you know, if you were to see me, I'm, I have the freedom of, of being outside and I, I, I have 12 chickens now and I'm actually have to take care of the chickens because I can't find anybody else to do it. So I, I guess it's a form of freedom as well. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a gift. So I think for all of us that, you know, take that for granted, it's huge. And for any of you that are buried in your businesses, we're working a lot of hours and missing out on life and because you can't seem to free yourself up, you know, there are things, choices you can make in your business to create freedom in a very short period of time. Love that. Scott Holman, thanks for being such a great guest on the DealQuest podcast. It was awesome. It was fun. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.